Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this is David Marler, and you're listening to Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Did you see Travis Walton approach the object on foot? Yeah, yeah, I did. Did you personally dislike Travis Walton? What kind of question is that? Did you or any of your crew murder Travis Walton? Absolutely not. What did it look like? It looked like... Uh... You expect me to believe that a flying saucer came down and took your friend away? Why the heck aren't you speaking up for us? Why let this man talk to us like this? They took him. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. So I am a guy in my 30s, so it may come of no surprise that I like horror movies. Ever since I snuck into the living room as a kid and watched from behind the couch as my parents watched the 1987 cult classic, The Lost Boys, I was hooked. Then came my obsession with Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, and of course the seminal work of George Romero in the Living Dead movies. I loved the vulnerable feeling of fear and suspense coursing through my veins as I I peeked through my own hands covering my eyes. But deep down, I always knew that between me and the monster, there was a screen keeping me safe. These were the twisted fantasies created by writers, directors, and actors. But sometimes, there are those monsters that become all too real. And they don't come from the minds of a writer, but perhaps somewhere far, far off in the cosmos. Today, I'm joined by Sammy Weissenden, host of the Howl Horror Program a podcast dedicated to discussing in-depth the art of the horror movie genre. This episode finds both of us recounting our own strange UFO sightings and how we came to find one another's shows. We then dive deep into a film we both hold close to our pounding hearts, and that is Fire in the Sky. Based on the true story of Travis Walton's harrowing 1975 UFO abduction, Sammy and I discuss the impact the film had on the striking differences between the actual event and the Hollywood version, 
and our own run-ins with a central figure that inspired it all, Travis Walton. So, without further ado, let's get to this podcast monster mash with the Howl Horror Program's very own Sammy Weissenden. Sammy, what's up, my man? I'm so honored to be here and to have this conversation with you today. It's It's been a long journey for us, just getting together and being able to do this and to be able to talk, but I really appreciate it, you know, and, and it really just came out of literally me ordering your book because I had I had seen so many posts about it on Instagram and online, and I was like, man, people seem to really be like enjoying this book. I need to I need to figure out what this is and went on your website, ordered it, you know, made sure to, hey, if, I, if you're going to order a book, you order a book and you have the author sign it and was able to, you know, and then you emailed me right back being like, yo, I'm going to be out of town, but I got it coming to you. And then we just kind of struck up with talking about podcasts. So I'm super psyched that that was able to happen and that you're actually, you know, wanting to do a show with me. It's it's I really appreciate it. And it means a lot. Oh, me too, man. I like like you said, you know, we literally connected through PayPal. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Well, yeah, it's like it wasn't even like my pay- the email address that my PayPal was connected to was an old one that I couldn't even get into anymore. So I had to email you from a new one to be able to do yeah. this. So no, yeah, it's so- awesome. Yeah, when I, when I saw that you um you had your own a uh, few podcasts actually. I uh, I had to check them out. You know, I started listening, and uh, it's awesome that we were able to come together and that we have so much in common between Definitely. our interests and horror in general. So I think this is going to be a really fun one. Yeah, man, I'm, I've been looking forward to this for a while. So it's uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun, and I, I I think that we're going to be able to really get into you know exactly what the whole deal with Fire in the Sky is, because it's a very polarizing movie. It's one of my favorite ones. So I was really happy that you were able, to, you were online being like, yo, what about Fire in the Sky? So it was, it's really good that we were able to connect with that. So, yeah. Right. And like, how many alien movies can you really think of that are in the horror genre, as it were? I, I can't think of many. We've got the alien, you know, anthology. Uh, but other than that, this one really we, stuck out to me as being more of a horror movie than anything. Yeah, it it, it really is. It, I mean, yeah, it's I, it's the 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 content isn't horrific. It's well, the content in the movie is actually fairly horrific. It's it's still like a pretty typical sci-fi movie, but man, like this is one of those movies that just for whatever reason just scared the crap out of people when it came out and it just is kind of one of those things where it, it's one of those movies where any anytime you talk to a person about it if they've seen it they're always like oh man that movie screwed me up when i was a kid so that's why like that's the best thing that a movie could be to me so well and i'm sure we'll get really deep into that soon but uh i kind of want to turn the tables on you here sammy let my listeners who've never heard your show let them know what you do what we can expect from your podcast, please. My podcast is called The Howl Horror Program, and it is basically just an excuse for me to be able to connect with people that I don't know anywhere and be able to talk with them about movies. And what I realized that recently was that most of the time it's not even really talking too much about the movie. It's just me being really interested in people and wanting and, and ending up just enjoying talking to them about their life experience and what brought them into loving horror movies. Um, so, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's really just an excuse to just try to meet people. And and, you know, so I'll bring on musicians onto my shows, uh, you know, I have per, uh, burlesque performers, just friends of mine, anything from any walks of life. Just, the whole point to me is, though, though, is that 
you know, if they're into horror movies and they and they really like that sort of thing, then we usually pick a movie that we want to discuss. We talk about it and then we just talk about them and 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 what got them into it and what their favorite stuff is. So it's kind of like I'm I'm by no means a expert on on movies. These are just movies that, you know, I've grown up from a small child just for whatever reason, be, just being totally in love with horror movies and just continue to watch them and collect them over the years. And um, from my background, it's just really fascinating to be able to sit down and talk with other people who completely have a different story for themselves, but love the same things as me. Do you remember, I have to ask it, put you on the spot. Do you remember the first horror movie you've ever seen? The first horror movie I probably ever remember seeing was, I would say, it's say it's probably Pet Cemetery, and it wasn't even particularly a movie at that time that I really cared about. It was just something that I saw in the background on TV. But the first movie that really got me into horror and got me into this stuff wasn't even a movie. It was a documentary about the filming of Michael Jackson's Thriller. I was a huge Michael Jackson's fan as a kid, and still am. I, I love a lot of Michael Jackson's music, and. I remember they once they released the album, they also released a VHS cassette of the making of, uh, and 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 it was available to rent at my local video store. So I saw Michael Jackson on the cover and was like, "Okay, hey guys, you know, talking to my parents, like you have to rent this for me." And they did, and it scared the shit out of me immediately. You know, even though it was a documentary about Michael Jackson, Thriller is a, still a pretty frightening thing where it has like the the werewolf cat in the beginning and then all the zombie dancing and stuff and the special effects and the, pra the practical effects in there and the, the creature makeup was so incredible and so amazing and um it was one of those things where even though it just scared me to death i continued to rent that movie every single weekend for probably a good five years wow. it was like the main thing that got me into it that i i know that feeling i remember when that video you know, was first, you know, making the rounds on TV. I, I, I couldn't watch it. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would have to turn away at certain parts, especially when the entire zombie dance started. It just, ugh, it's too much. Yeah, for well, me, man. I, too much. For well, me. there, yeah. I mean, there was even a time when I would have to like turn off the radio when that song would come on because it would just make me think of the video too. So yeah, you, you know, it was great for that way. And it, I mean, obviously it changed how music videos were. It, it changed everything for that because it was basically a, a small movie, you know, it was a featurette instead of a music video. I think it was like eight, eight to 10 minutes or something mm -hmm. like that, potentially even longer. And it, it wasn't just the song. It was this whole ordeal and, just the fact that Michael Jackson went out of his way to find these people to collaborate with who were so incredible and huge parts of the horror scene at that point and, and movie makers and stuff that, you know, it was a really a special thing. And he, I'm, I would imagine if it happened to me, I'm sure that he probably turned a bunch of his young fans at that point into horror fans as well by happenstance, you know, so. I'd have to agree. Yeah. No, who narrated that video? It's escaping me. Uh, well, there's a there's a small uh, narration in the middle of the in in the uh, middle of the song, and that was uh, Vincent Price did the did the dialogue for that. Yeah, it's just one of those things where it it just struck. I, I think it was the combination of both the music, but just the visuals and and that and that compelled me to just go into my grade school library and just like rent out as many like uh, check out I guess not rent out but check out as many like horror like movie books as I possibly could and just became obsessed with it. So. 
Yeah, I, you know, probably at too young an age. My first one was Lost Boys, if you can think. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, again, just, I caught a glimpse on the TV one night. My parents were watching it. I wasn't supposed to be in the room. Sure. And, uh, oh man, that stuck with me. You know, well, hey, uh, awesome movie. Still a great movie. Still one that I watch all the time. And I was actually just in Santa Cruz where they filmed it last weekend and went on the boardwalk and went on the roller coaster and stuff that that, that's like one of my favorite places of all time because of that movie. So I know that uh, whenever you are over on the West Coast, definitely take a, a little, I think it's like four hours from from the L.A. kind of area, and you're going to be right there, and it's amazing to go to. Ooh, I'm there. Exposure therapy. <laughs> I'll finally yeah, right? get over this fear of vampires. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just get yourself in the middle of it, you know, and, and they have a bunch of, like, places that you can go to. They really embrace it during the summer as well, so it's a lot of fun. So oh, Cool. So you asked me about my show. Now, one thing that I – so I don't know if you're like me. I'm basically at this point I'm a podcast junkie. Like before I was a talk radio junkie, I listened, I started listening to, like I said earlier, Coast to Coast AM when it was Art Bell and then eventually uh, George Norrie. Listened to a lot of like uh, fringe radio and, and paranormal kind of radio stuff. Eventually once everything switched over in a major way to podcasts, I started really going out and trying to find uh, ones that – the, the nice thing about podcasts is there's a podcast about everything. The one thing that's hard for you and I is that there's a billion podcasts about horror movies and there's a billion podcasts about UFOs. But I will tell you that I really, really, really enjoy your show. And if you could, would you let, you know, maybe you talk about to my listeners a little bit about, you know, like your show and and what you've talked about and and kind of like how how it's been going so far for you because it it has you haven't been doing it for too long have you a little under two months now i think i'm up to Ah. about 14 15 episodes uh yeah you're you're getting right through it because like i've been probably doing it for about a well at least the my my horse the hell horror program i've been doing for probably about a year and a half maybe a almost about two years and i think that i'm only up to like maybe 25 episodes so you're you're really going through you know you're you're burning through it pretty quick well i mean that's the beauty of it too man i think is these are things you can do when you want you're not on a broadcasting schedule you don't have to uh adhere to anyone's deadlines like this is for you this is um and i think that's what's important this is a passion project for me uh somewhere in the skies and you know i i do release every monday uh that is a deadline i hold myself to but you know life gets in the way of these things you know Mm -hmm. so anything can happen there might be a time i take a week off two weeks off uh two months off who knows uh anything can happen but uh i think consistency is key and um when when you have enough material out there uh i like to take advantage of that and the people i've interviewed so far on the show everything from ufo uh quote unquote experts to uh everyday people you know i've got i've had a a comedian on i've had a a writer from television i've had i'm going to have some broadway actors here in new york come on the show like, oh nice <laughs> i really want to open up you know the the discussion i don't yeah. want what the same damn people you've heard on every like you said 
billions of UFO podcasts or billions of horror podcasts. Yeah. Um, I want those everyday people who have an interest in this topic. So that's what excites me. That's what makes me want to do this every week. And uh, it's been going good so far, man. Far, far better than I ever could have imagined. It, it's just so good to have the support of so many people out there in so many walks of life, not just the quote-unquote UFO community. So... Yeah. Yeah. No, your your show. Yeah. I like I said. I really enjoy your show. And man, you have had amazing guests on. You know, like I've really loved the like the 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 different mix of people, and it's 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 been really refreshing because you know you'll that that's the the great thing about you know these shows and these podcasts is we have the ability to to literally do whatever we want. And for me, and it sounds like for you as well. The thing that we really want to primarily get into is the stories of people that you may not know. You know, we can do and uh, we can try to do interviews with with um, these you know researchers that you've heard on all the different shows a bunch of times, kind of telling the same story each time. We can talk to directors or or actors from movies who you know kind of have their canned response to a lot of your questions. But it's the people that are kind of on the fringes of uh, of those, or just you know just anybody up the, your neighbor who has had an experience and has seen something in the sky, or your neighbor who loves the movies that you do, and then you know being able to get with them and talk to them about it and kind of having a real personal connection. That's the that's the most fun part out of it, you know, for me at least, and it seems like it is for you as well. I think so. You know, I, I, I'm a creature of habit. I, I love comfort. I, you know, if I want to tune out, I put The Office on, on Netflix, yeah. <laughs> and I watch that. I've seen every episode a million goddamn times at this yeah, point yeah. <laughs> that I know what line is coming next, and there's comfort in that. I can go do something else while this is on in the background, or yeah. I put The Lion King on <laughs> if I want to watch yeah, yeah. a movie. And again, it's not that I'm paying attention. It's just there. It's in the background. What I think is cool is getting people you haven't heard from and asking new questions. And that's going to make you think. Having the same people on over and over again, hearing the same thing, literally, same, beat beat for beat, they will say the same answer to a question you've heard on 10 other podcasts. You know, that's fine. You know, there's a place for that. But I think what you're trying to do and what I'm trying to do and a lot of others are trying to do is to get new audiences and ask new questions and uh, take this journey together. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as a newer, uh, I, you know, I'm, it's not, I'm, I was about to say as a newer podcaster, I'm literally been podcasting for a year. So it's not like I'm so some old grizzled vet who, you know, <laughs> <laughs> has been doing this for years and knows all the tricks of the trade and whatever. But I mean, you've really quickly come, come into a, a, a it seems like a great following, great guests and everything. So what you're doing looks to be the right way to do it. And the fact is, is that you're passionate about it and you're having fun with it. And every day, like, what I've noticed so far is like on my phone, whenever I have a Facebook like notification, it's you posting in your <laughs> in your group. And I'm I'm always I look at my phone, I'm like, God damn, that guy is just always on it. And it's like it's it's inspiring because it's like I'm literally the opposite of that where, you know, I'll do a little bit of, you know, promotion on things or try to get people to listen to it. But like you are always you are always right there and you're you you know, you're really quick about things and obviously your listeners really appreciate it. I know that as a listener to myself, I love it because it's it's 
good content. It's it's like super quick content, and it's 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 always fun. So <laughs> I I hope so, man. I hope I too many people haven't blocked me on their social networks <laughs> at this point. But I think it is very important to stay engaged with uh, people you consider your audience. Uh, you know, they're taking time out of their day to listen to you babble for an hour and a half. So yeah, the least I can do is uh, give them quality content and. Uh, Again, to just make them part of it. If this is just me preaching to the choir about UFOs are real or, you know, this person says the government's doing this, uh, what what the hell's the point? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm no expert. There is no degree in ufology. I'm just a young, passionate person about this topic, as you are with the horror genre, and just giving our opinions on these things. And we, we feel like there are those out there that we trust to give opinions, and uh, those are the people we're going to hear from. What got you into doing this? Like, I I know as a person who's read your book, I know what got you into it, but you had an experience when you were younger. Now, before you had your experience, and I'd like you to actually explain your experience if you can, but before that, I would like to know, like, did you have any interest in this subject at all, or did you know anything about it before you had your experience? Uh, no, no, not at all, okay. actually. Have you found that that's generally how it is? Because I come from a, the completely opposite direction where I have always been into that sort of stuff pretty early on because my dad just like had, you know, Reader's Digest, Mysteries of the Unexplained books just sitting around the house. And nice. I, as a kid, I, as a kid, I'd always go and, you know, you'd you'd read up on ghosts, you'd read up on the Bermuda Triangle or like Bigfoot or, you know, UFOs and aliens and, and, and that sort of stuff. So it's always been a fascination to me, but I don't know if that's normal or or not and it sounds like at least in your case you didn't really even think about it until you had your experience yeah for me personally no i didn't you know and it, I, I think it is a case-to-case basis for sure uh i was i was an athlete you know i grew up mm-hmm. playing baseball and uh listening to green day that was pretty much my life dude okay just, well basically yeah. hey switch baseball for basketball and i'm the same person at that <laughs> point pretty much so that is fair enough i'm too short you know I got <laughs> caught traveling too much when I tried to play basketball and was not my thing. <laughs> and you liked you like sunflower seeds more. Yes, exactly. Just like Fox Mulder. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But yeah, yeah, I um I had what really stemmed my interest was a sighting I had when I was twelve years old. I was on a weekend getaway with my parents at uh the St. Lawrence River, which uh runs all through upstate New York and separates New York basically from Canada. I was fishing off a dock one night, like I said, listening to Green Day, uh mm-hmm. on my Discman. Uh this was back during yeah, the Discman man. days. Did it have like the auto shock like thing so it yep. wouldn't skip anytime you'd walk somewhere? Yeah. Yep. Never was, worked. Those were great times, man. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know what that auto shock button was for, yeah. but it definitely didn't work. And you'd have to change the batteries every like two days. But uh, Yeah, totally. That was just my incessant listening, I guess. Uh uh-huh. But yeah, I was I was fishing, it was dark out, and um I was by myself, and I noticed these three white lights reflecting off the water. And I'm reeling in my line, and I'm like, oh, that looks looks kind of weird, probably a plane. I look up, and there's this massive triangular formation. Probably, again, I was, I was really young, memory's hazy, but maybe like 300, 400 feet up, pretty high. And uh, mm-hmm. there's this fuzzy orange-red sphere in the center of the formation. Um, 
I, I couldn't see a type of structure, so I can't say for sure this was a craft of any kind, nothing like that, but I could not see the stars behind it either. I ripped my headphones off, my discman goes flying down the dock, and, you know, I'm expecting to hear whatever's above me, but there's nothing. All I could hear was the... Uh, you know, like the water hitting the dock at the constant rate. And oh, so I, there was you. It's you were still able to hear like everything else, kind of like nature and sounds around you, but just not the actual craft. Absolutely, I could hear okay. the water, and I could faintly hear inside. We were staying at a motel that had this dock. I could hear the Yankees game inside. Oh wow, my, our room that my dad was watching, and I'm just like freaking out. I can't say anything. I'm staring up at this thing, and then I start to feel this like this like a vibration running behind my ears, down my neck, into my chest. And uh, at this point, I'm, I start freaking out. I start yelling for my dad. And finally, he gets up off his ass to come out and see what's going on. And uh, he sees the tail end of this triangular formation. It's coasting over the water towards Canada. Um, mm-hmm. And he sees the two tail end lights. And, you know, he tells me it's a plane. Stop freaking out. Don't make a big deal about it. Uh, but, dude, like, even at 12, I knew this was not just a plane. Um, yeah. I- I'm not saying it was alien uh, by sure. any stretch of the imagination. But it definitely was not a plane that I was used to seeing. Well, and I think that's a really interesting point there, too, being able to 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 know, you know, like or not know exactly what it is, you know, because there's what what I have found in 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 being interested in this subject for for a long time and listening to a lot of shows and reading books is that people seem to be very very confident on whether it's something like that is extraterrestrial or not. And it, the fact is is that how you don't know. So like for me if I, you know, I I didn't have the the same experience as you did. I had an experience, but like to me it was the same thing where it was like I have no idea what that was. All I know is that was weird and that that's not normal. Oh, well, I'm not going to let you off easy, man. You got to tell me just tease me a little. What what was this experience you had? If if you don't mind sharing. Oh, no, not at all. No, um mine it actually happened to me when uh, I was a little bit older than you. I was I was about 25 and I went to the coast with a group of friends we rented out a uh, house a big beach house on the on the beach overlooking the pacific ocean as uh, people do from time to time and it was a group of about six people and we went to the beach and it was summer and it was beautiful out and it was a beautiful clear uh, night we were on you know in the house overlooking the the pacific ocean and everybody was having a good time we ended up watching and i don't know if this you know like i don't know if if this prompted it but we were watching that really crappy like early 2000s ivan reitman film evolution with oh. david Duchovny, the, the the alien one yep, yep yep like for whatever reason it was on tv so we were like watching that and it was like okay well cool and just and i playing board games and all that kind of crap and, and just hanging out and then everybody went to bed because well everybody went to bed besides a friend of uh, you know a, a f- my a friend of mine and myself they went to bed pretty early because they also were the ones that had the girlfriends so i feel like there was some uh, canoodling yeah. going on you know so unfortunately <laughs> I wasn't uh, I, I wasn't a part of that. So I stayed up a little bit longer with my friend and we just kind of hung out in the living room and, and talked about stuff and eventually made our way out to the uh, living room window where we were kind of just like looking at the at the, you know, that, that sky. And um, we both noticed a a green orb that was basically if you put the if you stretch out your arm and you are holding a like a 50 cent piece it was about that size in front of us over. It came out from the water and kind of went up, went up to, 
and I don't even know how many feet. It was it went up pretty high in the sky and it was really bright. It was a really bright green. And it's and it hovered there for a little bit. And the whole this whole experience maybe lasted about a minute and a half or so. It hovered and then it kind of sporadically kept on like moving from side to side, like left to right, up to down, just kind of like in a very not like, okay, that's not a plane. And helicopters are definitely not that fast. Like right. there was something weird there. It wasn't like a you know, sometimes on the coast you have fireworks. People will shoot up fireworks off the beach. It wasn't anything like that because it was very stationary, just staying there. And it kind of did, you know, kind of motioned and moved around for about a minute and a half. And eventually it just just jumped and it just went directly up into the sky and disappeared. And my Oof. friend and I kind of we kind of looked at each other and we were like, I mean, the whole time we were completely silent. We weren't talking when it was happening because it's just one of those things where when you're not expecting to see something and then you see something that odd, you just kind of you're focused on it. And, and, you know, somebody can be screaming right behind you and you're not paying attention to yeah, them. You're, you're, you're trying completely to process gone. it. Yeah, yeah you have, you're have you just trying to figure out what's going on. And then as soon as it stopped, we kind of looked at each other and we were like, what was that? And my friend was like, uh, he, he decided to go to bed. I don't know if he was just like freaked out by it or not, but he ended, he ended up going to bed. And I stayed out in the living room just watching the skies for the rest of the evening didn't see anything the rest of the evening, but it was one of those things where, you know, this was a little bit, this happened to me a little bit later in my life. And this has happened to me after, you know, I grew up in a open-minded household where we had a lot of books and were, you know, watched unsolved mysteries every night and everything. So it was like, it was one of those things where I wasn't afraid of it, but I was like, man, I want this thing to come back. What the heck was that? And it happened and, you know, talked to some, talked to the friends who were, who were, ended up going to bed. We talked to them in the morning about it and, they were just like, oh, I'm sure you go. Uh, who knows? Maybe it was probably nothing, that sort of a situation. But it always kind of, you know, obviously it always stuck with me. And it kind of, it was one of those small things that I felt blessed to have been, to, to see something. Now, who knows what it was? It, it, it could have been, I could have just been going crazy. It could have been anything. But I was happy that I saw it because it almost kind of gave me like vindication somehow of there is weird stuff out there and it's so important to be open minded about everything. And, you know, it's just one of those things where I wish to, you know, I, I'm sure like you, you just want to see it again, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. That's a good point, too, is that so many people who've had UFO sightings, some of them wish they could see something again and some would wish never to see something well sure again. yeah uh, I'm, i suppose that if <laughs> like something horrible happened and i was like yeah you know hurt or like abducted by weird lizard people or something <laughs> it would like probably not be something i'd want to do again but this was like it was more beautiful than it was anything else yeah that that feeling of awe you know can yeah. really can really do something to a person and again like you don't know if this was alien you don't know if it was um a weather anomaly you don't know if it was military uh i don't either both our yeah. sightings happened over a body of water that i find that very interesting um yeah. but at the same time it opened both of us up to the possibilities out there that there are things we can't explain uh that doesn't mean other people can't eventually explain it but we could not at that time and it left a lasting impact on both of our lives. And I think that's what's most important. And that's kind of the the journey I've been taking as a UFO researcher is not so much what the hell these things are, but how they're affecting people on the ground. And that's sure. really, really what I try to get to the core of um, in my work. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, and that's why I really loved your book, because your book was all of these stories about people experiencing stuff. And a lot of times it was just like, I have no idea what that was. 
you know, and, and just like how how it kind of I, there was a few stories in there where it was like, you know, talking, you know, talking to these people and their their kind of their resolve. And it was just like, I don't know. It was interesting or it I, I'm glad that I saw it. But who knows? And there's so much confidence and there's so much like I'm sure of this in you know, the UFO field or not even ufology or anything, even in like you could say the same about like people who who go out and and and, and do cryptozoology and study Bigfoot and stuff like that. It's like there's so much confidence and in, insuredness in, in this is absolutely real or, you know, this is this or this is that. And I'm always one of those people where it's like ah, we need to keep open minded here. We have no idea really what it is. That That's a really good point, man. And I think now more than ever, we live in a society where absolutes and extremes are sort of taking over, whether it's within ufology or uh, the paranormal or politics, science, religion, medicine, anything. We're, we're, yeah. we're looking at these things as I'm right, you're wrong. And when it comes to the UFO field that's when i tend to be hesitant to listen to someone when they say they have all the answers this is it sure um that's when i say run get the hell yeah. out of there because yeah. that is that's a sign that this person isn't willing to look at other possibilities about what is being seen in the sky or what these people are experiencing in their bedrooms or in their minds or or anything yeah well well may i ask you like after you had your experience i mean i know that it's you know, having written a book and having a podcast about this sort of uh, about the situation, I'm sure that you don't feel this way now. But was there a time after your experience where you were shy about telling people about it, or scared that people would think you're crazy, or would judge you like as a, a like an idiot, or like whatever after you had it? Because I know that for myself, I think that I was lucky enough to have the experience that I had when I was older and was very firm in my beliefs of I don't know anything. And I don't care if you think that I'm crazy because you know less than me. Like you weren't even there even seeing it. So like, what do you know? I don't care. But did you have you had yours younger? Did it did it really affect like did you go out and tell a bunch of people? Did you tell your you know, aside from your your father, you said saw a part of it, but immediately kind of wrote it off as a, as a plane? Uh, no, I, I. Yeah, I was at a very impressionable age. I was. Uh, first of all, I was terrified of what I saw. Yeah. I had nightmares. Uh, oh, so wow. okay. I tried to push it in the back of my mind for as long as I could. You know, again, sports took over, girls took over, school took over. I, I tried to regress this. You know, it, it wasn't an abduction experience. It wasn't anything like that. But I saw yeah. something I could not explain, and I feared that no one would believe me. So yeah. I did not talk about it until I was in probably probably my mid-20s uh, is when I started um, – hearing radio shows and going going into uh, the chat rooms back when AOL was a thing <laughs> and sure. hearing other people's experiences. I, I'd, I'd done research literally from age 13 and up in the shadows. I'd write essays yeah. to myself about Roswell and uh, Bigfoot and all of this stuff, but I would not share it with anyone. I was afraid of that ridicule that often comes with these things. But as time progressed and I became more comfortable with who I was as an individual and what I'd experienced and that there were so many other goddamn people seeing these things, uh, yeah. I became more comfortable. And I started to embrace it. 
and I think that's what a lot of people are doing now. They these these topics aren't as ridiculed any longer. They're becoming more accepted, even by the mainstream. I would say, in some respects, that's when you could not shut me up, dude. I started, yeah. <laughs> you know, shouting it from the rooftops, like UFOs are real. I saw this. These people saw this, and uh, it kind of just snowballed from there to the point now where I, I will go out and seek seek people out and say do not use a pseudonym when you come forward with this embrace it you know people sure. are worried about losing their jobs or their uh you know their respect in their community but if we have people hiding behind pseudonyms when they're having these experiences it's not moving us forward in that acceptance yeah. i think so i'm all about transparency and just get that weird bizarre shit out there because that's when i'm really going to start listening See, all that sounds like to me is that you didn't talk about it, and then you became that really annoying guy who that's all you did. Oh, my God. It was just talking. (laughs) It was like everybody was – Everybody was probably like, oh, man, Ryan watches like a couple episodes of X-Files and he's a real like molder over here. So, Oh, my God, man. <laughs> my parents were so worried about me growing up. <laughs> Trust me. But now they see that uh, it is a topic that many people take seriously. And I could not ask for a better support system. If your parents can support you in becoming a ufologist, uh, sure. <laughs> you know, you struck gold with the parentals for sure. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, like how liberating of a feeling that must have been being able to you know not only write and release a book but they start a podcast where you're you're able to it's it's nice i'm i'm just glad that that 12 year old boy was able to get all of this off of his chest and be able to embrace it and and talk to other people you know because i I can't imagine going through something even whether or not it was you know no matter even if it wasn't an abduction or anything like that it was something that obviously meant a huge deal to you was frightening and the fact that you're able to now embrace that and talk to other like-minded individuals about it who have had similar experiences that's a really important thing and you know you're you're you've gone and you're continuing to go above and beyond and helping i'm sure other people out especially you know now with your podcast younger people who are potentially having experiences now being able to break free from thinking that they're going to be ridiculed and being able to talk to them and, and and having them being able to open up and talk to other people as well. I think so, Sammy. And you make a good point too, man, that like even when it comes to the horror genre, this isn't a lot of people don't look at this genre of films as uh, important, as something to really ponder. It's just there for entertainment's sake or shock value and that's it but you and i and your listeners all know that i don't think there's another film genre out there that has more of a societal impact and commentary than the genre of horror so i think it could definitely be said the same for uh what you do as well that People are seeing that people like you, people like me, are into these things. We're normal, credible dudes, <laughs> you know, uh, for the most part. Uh, yeah, know, yeah. We I all, wouldn't give us too yeah. much credit, but... We all yeah. have our things, yeah. Um, but that you can comfortably talk about these things and find a deeper meaning behind them, you know? What I do isn't sure, just yeah. about little green men. What you do isn't just about blood and gore. There's so much more to it, and there's so much more to be gleaned from that. And I think that's what's very important and what ultimately uh brought you and i together definitely well and that's a really good segue into discussing you know getting into discussing the movie that we both watched and both have had a history with in the past that being fire in the sky how does it think what makes it move why does it breathe 
questions anyone would ask about a man if they'd never seen one before. So for five days, a man was borrowed. The story that Travis Walton and five other witnesses told was so unbelievable, so unimaginable, that it has become the most famous case of UFO abduction ever reported. Now, what exactly, how did you, when did, when did you first watch this, this film? Like, do you remember the first time you ever did or how old you were or any of that? Or So this came out in, uh, what was it, 1993. 1993. March okay. 12th, 1993. Got it. So I probably saw it, I did not see it in theaters, I probably saw it a couple years after when it first hit like HBO or one of those, yep. those stations. I remember, I, I distinctly remember I was on vacation uh, with a, a good buddy of mine in uh, South Carolina and it was okay. on TV and the moment I saw this beam come down and hit this dude, I flipped out. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, my friend is like, what the hell is going on with Ryan? He's like cowering in the corner. <laughs> and again, it, it wasn't like PTSD or anything like that. But uh, the whole topic of alien abduction was something I'd heard of but never really looked into, even though I had a keen interest in the UFO phenomenon, uh, that mm-hmm. was one aspect that I kind of shied away from. It was it was very out there. It was terrifying to think of. Yes. Um, and then when I heard that this was based on a true story, dude, that was, that was it for me. I did not want anything to do with this movie um, <laughs> for as long as I could remember. And it wasn't until many, many years later when I actually sat down and watched the entire thing. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah I mean... That is, I mean, aside from your, you know, obviously your experience before you had it, you know, before you watched the film. Well, actually, was it before? Uh, this, no, this was. Okay, that's, okay. After. Yeah. That, that's a lot better. It was you, pretty close, but it was after. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, at least my, my experience in this was, this is just one of those movies to where my dad, I, my dad would always, after all the kids would go to bed, my dad would then watch all of his movies out in the living room because it was stuff like horror movies or action movies, just stuff 
that you you didn't want the kids to see, you know. So which means that those are the movies that your kids are going to sneak out of their bedroom and they're going to hang out in the hallways and watch the movies without you without the parents knowing. So unfortunately, Fire in the Sky was one of those that I did that for. And I successfully sneaked out of my room and started watching immediately once he it wasn't the 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 abduction part, it was the part where they were doing the the experiments on him, which is still a, it's a very very shocking, very very scary scene and Honestly, like even being a a kid who was very interested in UFOs and all that sort of stuff and just weird stuff and horror movies, it really was the first movie that just screwed me up where, you know, after that for years, it was like, well, looks like I'm going to get abducted tonight. Every time you look that, it's like, I know that they're out there somewhere. So let's get it over with one of those situations. And it was one of those movies that was played a lot on HBO and Cinemax and all the movie channels. Uh, It. Like we had said, it was released in March 12, 1993. It, the budget was $15 million for it, and it ended up making that back uh, with $20 million it made. So it was, you know, and especially at that time, you know, it was not really, it made the money back, but. No more, yeah. <laughs> not enough to where they were like super, you know, it, that's, it made, probably made most of his money later on when they ended up like doing, uh, you know, releasing it on DVD after all of the scarred children who watched it on HBO or something like that, like eventually grew up and started loving it. Right. It wasn't by any means like, it was kind of like, uh, what was that movie that was based on, um, well, Communion, right? Wasn't that the Whitley Strieber movie? Did you ever watch that? Yes. Yeah. What a weird, strange movie, dude. Like, <laughs> much so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the the book is strange enough, and I love that book. Again, Whitley Strieber, one yep. of the best horror novelists out there who had supposedly a genuine abduction experiences. Uh, yeah. But yeah, running. and then we got the movie version with uh, Mr. Cowbell, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, who just made it all that much more weird. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, you know, in the in the in the main difference between like a movie like Communion and a movie like Fire in the Sky is Communion was interesting and there were were some very eerie, creepy parts, but not nearly as extreme as the very cra- like crazy, scary parts in Fire in the Sky. Which I think goes to your point about Fire in the Sky really being not just a sci-fi movie, but more of like a horror sci-fi type of movie. Kind of like you know you know another movie that would be really great in that category, Event Horizon. Yeah, very yes, that's a very good comparison. Like sci-fi movie, but damn, that movie is a horror movie. It's scary, it's gory, it's it's like it's great that way. I think so. When you can cross genres like that, you know you've done something right. You're sort of pioneering a whole new genre. And uh I, I think these two can interplay very well together, sci-fi and horror. They have many aspects in common. We often fear the fiction that is soon to become science fact and uh i I think there's a lot to be said for that as well and you know in in terms of fire in the sky what i think is the most horrifying aspect of this film based on a true story is that it was a true story and that there were witnesses something like communion this is you know one man's testimony of what happened to him whereas this we have what is it? Four or five other people who were there seeing this happen, documented. Yeah, I, I, be, I believe there was a group of six in the in the book version, but I think in the film version they only there was a group of five. Yes, I believe you're right. They put two people together. I think uh, for clarity's yeah. sake, yeah. Uh, but yeah, was, no, yeah. that and and like you said, I mean, yeah, I mean, 
you know, the movie is scary enough, but like once you realize or once you hear that it was based on a true story, whether or not it, you know, like, and we can talk about the differences between the book and the film, regardless of how accurate it was to the true story, just hearing based off of a true story puts so much more fear in you <laughs> watching it. Yes. Just wondering like what parts are based off of the true story and like what the hell, you know? So as as many, I'm sure as both, you know, the, the listeners of your show or the listeners of my show would probably already know. Um, Fire in the Sky is a book about the alien abduction or the abduction case of Travis Walton, who was a logger in uh, Snowflake, Arizona in the mid-70s, I believe it was 75. Um, And him and his crew went up uh, to do some... I, per, I believe it was like clear cutting for the for on a government contract, Correct. and they were in the White Mountains. And near the end of the team, uh, near the end of the day, the all the guys kind of got back into their truck and were heading down from the mountain um, back home. And they noticed like a strange uh, color, strange kind of like light in the sky, kind of you know looked like fire in the sky. Hey, what the hell is that? Maybe we should just turn back. Huh? That's that's got to be a fire. Look, it's moving. I saw it. It isn't moving, Bobby. Look, man. Is it? That's one monster forest fire. Yeah, fire my ass. That ain't no fire, man. What else could it be? What the heck is going on here, Mike? He's going around. No. Mike, maybe, maybe we're going to do like Greg says and just pull over for, for a minute. So. No, Mike, I want to see what it is. There's only one road out of here and we're on it. If that's a fire, we can't get around it. We're going to be spending the night out here. They drove towards it, you know, on the on the mountain road, and they saw a craft there. And Travis was compelled to actually get out of the truck and to go underneath the 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 craft. And once he kind of started to realize that this is crazy and why am I doing this, he decided to try to go back to the truck. But at that point, he was struck by something. Uh, that what later the guys in the truck said that they he was struck by a, a pale blue beam of light, and they took off. And he blacked out after obviously how scary of a situation would that be as, yeah. as anybody in that truck like that, you know, and it's one of those things where the, both the book and the movie, the fact that Mike uh, Travis's friend dropped everybody off and went back up to try to find Travis right after that happened by himself. That shows how much that dude is like the toughest man in the world, because <laughs> I don't I F that, you know, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's a That's a true friend there. Like a lot of people. People yeah. fault the guys for leaving when this happened. But if you were in those men's shoes, I mean, they, they thought oh, he was man. dead. They thought, yeah. you know, the world was being invaded by aliens. Like, get the hell out of there. Yeah. What the hell are you stopping for? We left him there. He's dead, oh. jackass! We gotta go back. 
No, no way! What are you talking about? No, baby, baby, you gotta go back. No, 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 no way! Go back. No way! No, 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 Totally, you know, amazing that he had the bravery to go back and do that. But he did. He didn't find he didn't find Travis. So he came back down the mountain. They eventually went into town, called the police. And basically the police automatically, you know, they 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 all go up back to the mountain again together with the police, try to look around. They don't find Travis. So they just kind of assumed that there was either some sort of a weird accident or somebody killed Travis. And they're all just kind of covering it up with this fake UFO story um travis is what gone for a couple weeks or like seven to ten days something like that yeah it was it was it was a good amount of time and enough time for really you know news agencies from across the world to come into this small little arizona town and for everybody in the community to really just kind of not trust and just blame this crew of people for killing this guy i believe that they well they all took polygraph tests and everybody passed except for one member of the crew who it wasn't because of anything that happened but he also had a warrant out for his arrest so he kind of was not wanting to do the polygraph test to begin with. He wasn't very like (laughs) little on edge anyhow for uh, dealing with the law and whatnot. But I I believe later he did actually take a polygraph test later and and did pass. So all of the crew had taken polygraph tests um, and passed them. But Travis was still missing. You know, we they had a bunch of uh, search parties go up on the mountain, try and find him and they couldn't. And then just one night uh, they get a call uh, Travis's brother, I believe, gets a call, um, and Travis is on the side of a road outside of town in a phone booth and is has appeared and um, basically says exactly the same story as the rest of the guys did to the police without ever talking to them at that point, correct? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Everything that they said happened prior to him disappearing was 100% accurate with what they testified under these lie detectors. So, very interesting. And just that alone, just that story right there and not even going into what Travis talks about in the book or what the movie talks about afterwards, that's incredible enough. The fact that there is a man who who gets hit by this beam of light from an unknown kind of craft and has disappeared for that long and then just shows up. I mean, that's a that's a movie in itself. But as it turns out, and this is where kind of the book in the movie differ a little in the in the movie, we see that Travis is he wakes up in a, a crazy kind of like ship type of thing to where there's, you know, he's like in a weird like embryonic bubble type situation and there's like dead bodies <laughs> around him and which is frightening as well and he's he, he gets out of this area and he like is kind of going around the ship and he finds these um these space suits that basically the, the suits themselves look like how a typical gray alien would look where it's like a a jumpsuit with the big almond shaped eyes and the larger head that was really cool i have to yeah add. i man i really love that part about it that, i i don't know i mean are you are you familiar with a lot of stories that involve that sort of a thing where it's like maybe the aliens themselves don't look like a gray but it's like something in a suit that would look like a gray you know whitley streber has mentioned this in a few uh a a few chapters of his books and uh in interviews that there was no facial expression that these almost seemed like masks that there was definitely something behind these emotionless grays as it were so the fact that 
this fire in the sky movie uh tackled this was really interesting to me it was yeah. it wasn't something i'd really come across in any other abduction experiences before is that uh these might be spacesuits these might be how they can travel these vast distances through time and space to uh come and snatch our people up man it was pretty pretty yeah pretty cool yeah it was it was totally cool it's a co- uh, it's a cool little like like a part of it and Basically, what happens is when you find these suits, one of the aliens grabs him, and then it's a kind of like a, a jump scene to basically the most frightening, one of the most frightening scenes in <laughs> movie uh. history, where he's drugged down a a, a a dirty hallway. Which I don't know, like I can accept that there might be extraterrestrials zipping around the universe, but like I think that their ship would be a lot cleaner. Like I feel like if they're sophisticated enough to figure out time and space, they also know like pledge in a vacuum but it's <laughs> this, like that's a great point the, the it looks like a su- the inside of a subway <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> if the aesthetic they chose for this part of the movie uh was a very bold choice yeah again you have to wonder whose decision this really came down to to make it so much different from travis walton's actual experience again we'll get into that but uh yeah. like you said it looked very primitive very cavernous got these decaying bodies and these almost like cobweb haunted house-esque yeah. <laughs> things throughout. I, I felt more like I was in Dracula's castle than some yeah. super advanced UFO, you know, traveling through space. Well, you know, it was funny. Do you remember, um, you're you're uh, right around the same age as me. Do you remember the video game Earthworm Jim? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so these aliens look like Earthworm Jims, basically. And yep. it shows them, like, basically carrying him through the ship or dragging him through the ship. And they put him on a gurney. And then they basically just start doing like the worst experiments on him where they're like putting a needle in his eye and they're like lasering his teeth and they have some sort of a weird like like membrane over his oh just like the scare and just like the visual like of of just what's happening to him is just so shocking and like just creepy as hell and you know it kind of stops at that point and it kind of goes at you know to him being back at home and like basically coming to grips but with what happened and being just having ptsd and just being like stressed out to where he can't function very well as a normal human being for a while which yeah totally you know (laughs) so i guess the difference between that part in 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 and what Travis actually says happened in the book is he did apparently come across a couple gray alien type looking uh, beings uh, initially. But after being able to kind of fend them off with a long cylindrical kind of like tube sort of thing, he's able to walk through a ship and eventually comes across what looks to be like a like a, a, a Nordic Mm-hmm. alien a blonde haired kind of like dazzling like gold eyes kind of being who is able to uh, relax him which uh, uh, you know apparent you know as as you and i both know seems to be a common kind of a thing where it may totally make sense if you want somebody to calm down like show him a human looking thing like not a crazy gray alien or right. a lizard person you know like but he's basically brought into this kind of t- almost taken out of the craft and brought into a weird hangar that has different crafts in it and meets more of these humanoid looking beings who end up putting a uh, like almost looks like an oxygen mask not attach anything over his mouth and then he passes out that way and 
and, and blacks out. I mean, there's other things that happen as well, but like when it comes to the, the actual meat potatoes of the alien experience, it's nothing shocking to him as far as being on a like basically like a, on a gurney and getting all these weird experiments. It's mostly like seeing these weird beings at first, but then being comforted and brought into different areas by these more humanoid looking beings yes yeah the, his story does vary a lot from the movie um you know let let's i, I guess let's look at the screenplay by tracy torme now uh okay. I, i've i've spoken to torme personally and I've heard him on interviews, you know, even in Travis's book, he praises Tracy Torme for how trusting he was, you know, of Travis, that Travis uh -huh. was telling the truth, that this all actually happened, and vice versa, that Travis could trust Tracy with his story. Now, as time went on and more money was being put into this project by uh, Paramount, you know, this stuff happens. We know this yeah. happens. That's Hollywood. And what what ended up happening was Tracy wrote Travis's complete, accurate story into the screenplay. And then another movie came out where the greys were featured in this movie. An abduction scenario occurred. And it was identical to oh. basically what Travis had experienced. He tells Travis, we've got a problem. We've got a big problem. Oh, wow. The execs are... They're flipping out like we need to do something here. How do we change this? And the decision that they both came to apparently was let's let's focus more on what you were feeling at that time, Travis. What, you know, what you was hmm. going through your head. What what were you feeling? And Travis, the one thing he kept coming back to was he felt both terrified and in uh almost like a suffocation like the room was you know getting smaller and smaller mm -hmm. and that he was he was obviously terrified and felt helpless uh so what they did is they went back to the screenplay they eventually created this more horror aspect that we've seen and uh really took what he said that that fear and that feeling of suffocation and put that into it now travis was not too happy with what they eventually came up with but he does say that the feeling is there what he felt is there on the screen and he thinks that's what's most important it's interesting well you know it, it, it that is actually very interesting i i didn't know that i've watched i've i've been at a couple lectures that uh, travis has done about his experience and it seems like one was probably about four or five years ago the last one was a couple years ago and it seemed like even just the couple years in between he'd come to grips a lot more with how the movie portrayed it and brought more of the movie uh, movie scenes into his in his presentation definitely still went out of his way to explain the differences between the two and what was changed but didn't really get into a lot of details of why it changed so hearing that a little bit that in the back that what was going on in the background totally helps me to understand exactly how is you know like how he's feeling i i yeah, think i think so man that's a good point because instead of spending the rest of his life you know arguing what the movie did as opposed to what actually happened to him like you said he's come to grips and he's also had new revelations of you know that they they didn't abduct him to do these horrific experiments but that when he was shot with this beam they did ultimately kill him and or injure him very badly mm -hmm. and that the reason they took him up into the ship was to repair him and that is fascinating to me i heard yeah. him give this lecture uh this past february where he said I honestly think that the only reason that I was taken was 
they were going to fix the mistake that they had done to me. They did not mean to hurt me. Uh, it mm-hmm. was a defense mechanism, and that's that. So I think it's interesting that this case happened so long ago. He has never really wavered from his original story, but that mm-hmm. he is still having revelations. It's it's fascinating to me. Yeah, the just in general, I mean, Travis, Mr. Walton is a really... I, I've, I was able to, at least one of the times that I, I, I saw him uh, speak, I was able to meet him and, and chat with him very briefly. Really nice guy. Like, and you know, he, you know, I grew up in pretty much like on the very west coast, uh, northwest coast of Oregon, in the middle of nowhere, outside of a little uh, town called Astoria. Our claim to fame was that's where the movie Goonies was was filmed. Okay. Um, and what are we have two basically two types of uh, work there: logging and fishing. And speaking with Travis, even just for a short amount of time, he's exactly the same type of guy that I, you know, like my uncles were, that my my friends' dads were. They're like these kind of like very salt of the earth, straightforward guys that like, you know, aren't going out trying to make up a story to get, you know, like they don't want the attention. They're very much not those guys at all. And you can tell that any time that you you can tell that in reading his book, you can you know tell that in, in in going and seeing him speak and talking to him, and and it makes me really appreciate I the fact that they changed had to change the movie around. I like that because what it did is it created a scary scary movie for me to grow up to and enjoy, but it also gave me a different story, the real story in the book that I also can sit back and read and enjoy too. So out of one experience, I got two great, great pieces, great things to me that I enjoy a lot out of. And I know that, you know, if had he had his way, he probably would have just wanted his story out and, you know, had, had that, you know, what actually happened in the movie. But he seems pretty like lighthearted at this point about the movie and uh, to the point to where I was like, hey, I just want to let you know, sir, like I, I, I really love your book and, and everything. And I was just like, I watched your movie when I was like five years old and I've been scarred since. And he was like, yeah, I hear you. I understand. It wasn't fun for me either. And I was like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was like, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're, you know, you're like scarred, kid? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I was just like, but – but, it, you know, it, it, it helped me to really appreciate both the, the movie and the film that much more, just being able to see him talk and, and, and be able to shake his hand and, and, and speak with him a little. So I think so. And the movie only got this case more exposure. And I do consider this one of the most credible abduction stories out there. Like you said, Travis Walton is uh, there there's a lot of misconceptions about people who claim abduction experiences first of all they're all dumb hicks you know out in the woods we we hear this all the time this cliche now travis was a logger yes he lived in a small town in arizona but this is one of the most intelligent people i've ever yeah. met sammy I, I like you said you got to talk to him as well he is so damn smart he is well spoken he is articulate he is talented as hell the dude plays guitar like nobody's business oh and, nice uh, <laughs> He also doesn't age. And (laughs) this is really weird observation, but the guy doesn't look a day over like 40 and he's like 6'8 now or something ridiculous. It's crazy. And you gotta wonder, like, if they did repair him, these aliens... uh, They repaired him a little too well. A little too good, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, uh... 
like yeah, like you said, you can appreciate both aspects, both the movie and the book for different reasons, but what it comes down to, I think, is this is a case about alien abduction that will never go away, that has been tested and challenged time and time and time again, and it always comes up in every conversation of, oh yeah, I honestly believe that happened to this guy. For anybody like and and that's the thing like that it's one of those like you said it's one of those stories that if you have people that find out oh you're into that sort of stuff you're into you know UFOs and aliens or or anything it's the one case that one of the one cases you can be like why don't you like if you're interested in any of this read about this case read about the Travis Walton experience and and after that if you're still interested let's talk more because it's a really great like if if a person is coming to you and in they're in an honest way asking you about something and not just trying to give you shit about being into something if they can honestly read or look into that and it doesn't interest them or it doesn't like strike them as oh I, this this is this could potentially have happened or this, this wow there's a lot of there's a lot of evidence there's a lot of you know data to this then if if you can't if you can't jive with that then you're probably not worth talking to for me at least you know <laughs> like i can't do much better than that you know until 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 some at some point an alien comes down and literally like shakes hands with people on on national television even then i don't think anybody would really believe it but I mean, there's only so much we can do at that point with what we have and in, in, in the, the, the cases that we have. And, and, you know, one where you have so much info and, and, and polygraph tests and all of that and, and just like a really earnest and just quiet, soft-spoken, you know, man who I can imagine now he's being able to actually go out and, and meet people and, and, and talk about an experience. But how how hellish must his life have been in those years between the movie and stuff or People just either continue to think that this all was happening because they were trying to make money off of tabloids or any of that kind of stuff, or the fact that everybody just thought he was crazy. You know, right. like nobody, nobody wants that. No one would ever want that. You know, no one's going to think about the long game that much. Where it's like, <laughs> well, I don't know. In about thirty years, I'm going to be uh, able right. to talk. I'm going to be able to talk for free out of a UFO convention. You know, it's like no, <laughs> so. no. First of all, well, you bring up two good points. Uh, the first one being the the long game. Most of the people involved with this case, this ruined their lives. Yeah. You know, some became deeply depressed. Some became alcoholics. Some of them never spoke to Travis again. But they all remained steadfast that the story they told is what happened. Uh, the second thing is money. Uh, obviously, Travis probably made a small bit of dough off of the movie like that's sure that, that can't be debated that's hollywood yeah. they bought the rights to his story fine but that's not gonna last forever and even when this case was happening sammy philip class the known skeptic debunker mm -hmm. he was going around to each of these dudes saying look we will pay you so and so amount of dollars to uh to come forward and say that you made this all up. Like, just get it over with now, and we'll do that, you know? And we're talking, like, double digits here. Thousands yeah. and thousands of dollars. None of them took the money. They all stuck to the story. So that says something to me, for sure. Definitely. That, that this was genuine, and that they, so much was riding on them coming forward with this, and that to this day, every single one of them remains steadfast that this happened. It, it's astounding to me. There are so many abduction accounts out there that are complete and utter bullshit 
And I sure. I can say that having interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people, they're either in denial or they are straight up hoaxers. Um, but there are cases like this one where I just have to sit back and say, what the hell is going on in this world that we truly don't know about? It, it's crazy. Yeah. Man. It, it keeps me up at night, keeps me up drinking whiskey. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's unfortunate that something like this had to happen to anybody because obviously we would probably like nobody. Well, I don't know. Maybe there are people out there who totally want to go through this sort of experience. I would say, though, that, you know, once you are in that position of potentially being abducted and whatnot, your your attitude might change on that pretty quickly. (laughs) Like it's, it's one thing to say, no, I would totally love to 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 hang out or like be abducted and all that kind of stuff. I don't know, man, because even just, you know, obviously through your experience, through my experience, those were completely different from what Travis went through. And, um, and anything more than that, I'm not, I'm not a fan of. So I I remember many, um, this John Mack, I believe said this, the Harvard psychiatrist who wrote about alien abduction. He said, alien abduction is a club that nobody wants to be a part of. (laughs) And and I believe that to be true. Like people go, Oh, I'd love to get abducted. Yeah. Seriously. Would you, would you really want to live the rest of your life knowing something that no one else on this planet has seen and that your privacy was invaded and you were examined and the fear of, Thinking or anticipating that it's going to happen again against your will is uh, something I would never, ever want to deal with. Yeah, no, I, I agree with 100 percent with you. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm happy that we were able to get, you know, the the from this experience, we were able to get a really, really compelling and interesting book off of this. And also, you know, in, in getting a, a fantastic movie that I have enjoyed since childhood, even though most of the time it's been enjoying it in a terrified way. It's been one of those things where anytime somebody was like, hey, show me a scary movie, that's the one thing. You know, you can show people movies about zombies, movies about vampires. They're always going to, for the most part, just be like, well, okay, whatever. You know, there's only so much you can believe in that. You show them Fire in the Sky. You show them an alien abduction movie that's potentially, that, that you know, an alien abduction movie that's based off of a true story. That's the movie that's going to scare them the most because they don't know, you know, they, they can't say, well, this isn't real. That's a good point. And a lot of people had issue with the way this, the movie ended where, you know, Travis goes back to the site where this all happened and it's ambiguous what happens next. He, he goes there, he talks to his friend Mike and the movie ends and a lot of people had problems with that. But I think it was a wonderful way to end this film is we don't know what's going to happen next. Travis doesn't know if this is ever going to happen to him again. That to me would be the scariest part of all of it, you know, being him in a situation where it's like not having any idea if it's ever going to happen again. Like, holy shit, you know, that's crazy. Absolutely. And he's still searching for answers. At the end of the day, man, so are we, you know, we're going to constantly be looking for it. And I do, I'll I'll say this, um, I, I don't have any huge insider info, but I have heard that a remake is in the works of Fire in the Sky. I know we're sick of remakes at this point, but (laughs) Travis will be much more involved in this. It'll be a more accurate portrayal of what happened to him. Uh, I also suggest anyone who wants to hear the the true, accurate story about Travis, there's a wonderful documentary called Travis, the true story of Travis Walton. It was a terrifying experience. I thought we was going to go to jail for murder. That day, you know, we were a little behind, so we worked until it was starting to get dark. We loaded up the equipment and hadn't driven very far when we caught glimmers 
of this glow coming through the tree. As he got closer, I heard the sound. One of the guys said, you feel that? I really panicked then. I told him, get the hell out of here. It didn't come directly to me. It came to a, a deputy sheriff. Three of us volunteered right away to tell him what had happened. Sheriff Gillespie definitely didn't believe it. He says that we better be certain because we're getting a lot of trouble. When we went to search the next day, they split us up, and the whole time the deputies asked me, you know, if you just tell us where the body is, we can all go home and get this over with. We're talking about a hundred people combing through the wooded area. Nothing turns up. All week long, I've been hearing they're going to set it up to make you guys look guilty. We're a rough-looking bunch then. Some of us have been in trouble with the law before. Y'all ain't never going to come out of that jailhouse. Granny says, this is Travis. I'm back. I need help. When I did hear that he had been returned, it was almost as unbelievable as the original thing. I just looked at my mom and says, I told you we didn't kill him. Travis Walton reappeared after several days with a bizarre story about a ride in an unidentified flying object. People were desperate to explain it away. Why are you sticking up with Travis for all this time? You know this really didn't happen. What happened to Travis after we took off in that truck, I can't tell you. I hated Travis for a long time after this. My whole world just tore up. But I believe every word Travis said about it. He's never lied to me about nothing. It's a net negative. We lost our jobs in the immediate aftermath. And now you're not able to talk about it with anyone because you know that they're going to laugh at you, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. But if you don't come out and tell your story, somebody else is going to tell it for you. There's a degree of responsibility. Uh, certainly I have to accept the bad. If I can direct what's happened in a way that I can make something good happen in the world, I'm looking for it. Have you seen this? Yeah. I, you know, I, unfortunately, I haven't. They they screened it at a um, at a conference that I usually go to, and I wasn't able to make it at that point. And I haven't been able to really find much about it online recently. So, um, I have a website for your listeners here. It's Travis slash Walton dot com. Check it out. It's awesome. A lot of new evidence about the case. They went back and they found all this weird stuff around the trees where this supposedly happened. Really fascinating. You hear from the gentleman who gave the lie detector test. You hear from uh the sheriff who was such a skeptic at first and what he thinks about the case now. Really interesting. Um, All these people coming forward who haven't spoken about this in a long, long time, including members that were there that night. So definitely check that out if you get a chance. Yeah, I've been I've I've I was bummed out that I missed it. And and that's that sounds that sounds great. He the last time I saw him uh, speak, he was that was actually about to come. That was right around the time that it came out. So he was talking about it and it, it made it very it sounded very compelling. So definitely going to have to check that one out. Totally. Hey, well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Whenever if if that new movie comes out, if that remake comes out, we're going to be talking about it. Absolutely. I'm, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to hold you to that. So, well, dude, it was so awesome to be able to talk to you in general just about everything but you know fire in the sky and just like your experience and all that kind of stuff and you know it's 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 been really it's been a really great great evening for me just being able to kind of talk about some of this stuff because i don't have a lot of friends that i can really that are really interested in this sort of stuff Mm -hmm. so a lot of the times i'm i'm very much interested in it but i just have to basically read my books on it (laughs) horror and aliens ufos all that and paranormal all that stuff for whatever reason i'm usually that one guy in the in, in the group of friends who that's my thing 
you know so i kind of like it's what i'm into i enjoy the heck out of it but i don't really have an opportunity to really talk in detail or in depth about these things so it really was awesome to be able to talk to somebody who is also as interested if not more interested in it and 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 really can provide a lot of really cool information as well Oh, thanks, man. Well, you know, the feeling is mutual. I I don't have many I can talk to about horror movies. Uh, I've always been obsessed with them. I'm so glad I found your podcast. I am eating it up like crazy. And yeah, dude, we... This is what it's about. I think it's a great idea to get these different genres of podcasts together, to hash it out, to introduce new people to these questions and these interests we both have. And yeah, it's been a, a huge honor and a pleasure talking to you tonight as well. Where where can people find your book, your podcast, all of that good stuff? All my stuff can be found in one crazy hub. That's somewhereintheskies.com. Uh, the book's on Amazon, paperback and ebook. And uh, yeah, podcast is right at somewhere in the skies.com as well and, uh, and how about for you my man for me it's pretty much the same uh just google howl horror program it's where the ipod uh, the uh, the podcast is on itunes it's on stitcher pretty much on every different social media platform whether it's facebook twitter instagram all of it try to keep it as available i don't now granted i don't update it as much as ryan as you do uh because you know apparently you, you know some life. of us some of us have to work okay come on some <laughs> of us have to work some of us have to watch movies and make dinner for ourselves we can't just be sitting on our computer and our phone all the time oh, doing i updates. see how it is all right all right <laughs> but i i try to keep stuff as updated as possible and um but yeah like no matter what you love the book awesome love the podcast so great to talk to you dude you as well sammy keep your feet on the ground man but never stop searching somewhere in the skies right on all right that is it for this week's episode be sure to check out both of sammy's podcasts the howl horror program and the back to life podcast they're both available on all podcast outlets and at backtolifepodcast.com I want to once again thank a few people for donating to Somewhere in the Skies. To Cindy, Sean, and to an anonymous donor, your contributions help the show to continue running and grow by leaps and bounds. The show is free to consume always, but not to create. So any donations are welcomed and appreciated more than you know. To donate, go to somewhereintheskies.com and click on the Donate tab. Please also consider rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. It helps us move up in the featured podcast sections and helps gain new listeners. If you'd like to share your story on the show or have guest and topic suggestions, please email me at spreg at somewhereintheskies.com. I'll see you next Monday. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. This has been a Third Kind production. To learn more, visit thirdkindproductions.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.